0: morning. I want to begin this morning with a quick story. It happened a few years ago and the setting is in a different country. It was getting very late and Bonnie and I were on a bus and we were on this bus and we knew that we were nearing the end of this bus route. We I mean, knew it was getting late but we thought hey we'll take this bus to the end. It'll turn around and then it will get us back into the city happened next left us (laughs) a little bit surprised. The bus driver pulled up, stopped the vehicle, and announced that he was done for the evening. The man got off the bus and left us there. Whoever was in the bus was sitting there. Now, the double-decker bus that we were riding in was not a place you'd want to spend the night. It was on the outskirts of London. Bonnie and I are in our 20s. We have certainly never experienced anything like this before. And frankly, in that moment, we had no idea what to do. Absolutely no idea what to do. We didn't know what our next move was. We were confused, even lost. We knew we were near London, but we didn't really know where. You ever felt that way? Have you ever experienced that before, a bit bewildered about what is the next step we should take? Where do we turn? What do we do? You know, as we make an assessment of what's happening in our world today, in my 50 years, I cannot think of another time. I cannot think of another time in our culture that feels so disorienting makes us confused. We feel like we don't necessarily know what's happening in the world around us. So the question is, what are Christ followers to do? In the midst of that culture, in the midst of what you and I are experiencing today, what are we to do as Christ followers? We're supposed to navigate that with a Christian and biblical worldview. That's what we're to do. You know, today what we're going to do is we're going to turn to God's Word and we're going to consider what a Christian worldview is, why it matters and what it means for you and I to think and live in a way that honors Christ. So that's where we're going today, but before we do, let's pray together. Gracious God, You are our Heavenly Father, and we acknowledge that today. We acknowledge that in the midst of a world that is a bit chaotic, in the midst of a world that seems to be changing and moving in directions that we have never seen or experienced before, we acknowledge that you are sovereign. You're in control. What is happening in our world does not take you by surprise. And so, therefore, we can trust you. It may seem difficult at times for us to do that, for us to walk in faith, and yet you empower us through your Spirit to do just that. But you've also given us your Word, God, and we acknowledge your Word is true, it is truth, and it has everything we need to walk out our days faithfully. So God, as we open your Word, would you give us eyes to see the truth? As we open your word, would you give us ears to hear this truth and then the courage that it's going to take to walk out this truth and week ahead. And we ask this humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church family, last Sunday we opened God's word and we dug into Psalm 27 as I challenged you, for those of you who were here, to take a few moments to reflect upon the current state or season of your soul. I hope that you were able to carve out some time, whether that was on that later that Sunday, Labor Day, or at some point that week, to carve out some time to engage with what God is doing in your heart and in your mind. That was last Sunday. Next Sunday, as Pastor Ben said, we're going to be kicking off a new sermon series, digging into the book of First Peter in a series called Unshakable, and that's what we're going to be doing next Sunday. This Sunday, I'm excited to share Another message with you that God has laid upon my heart for you, the White Lake family. As we engage deeply with God's word and we evaluate how that applies to our lives, I believe that what we're looking at today, the Christian and biblical worldview, will help us all men, women, students, children, all of us to navigate the disorientation that we're seeing and experiencing in our world today. So that's our backdrop. What we're going to do is we're going to examine a number of biblical texts today and they're going to help us answer this question. What in the world is a Christian to think and what in the world is a Christian to do in our culture today? What are we to think what are we to do? So the first text we're going to be looking at is foundational for the rest of the scriptures that we're going to be looking at. So I want to encourage you to go ahead and grab your Bible. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 3. If you're reading along in the ESV, you can find that on page 981. That's 981 in the ESV, or you can read it behind me on the screen. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. This text, this text helps you and I to to see the way that we think and that we live. It is all rooted in our identity. In our identity. Simply put, what that means is that if we have a personal faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord, you and I are called to think differently. We are called to live differently. And the fact is we're called to those things because this is not our home. This is not our home. This is why in his first letter to the Apostle Peter, we're going to be looking at this in the coming weeks, Peter calls believers aliens and strangers. Another translation describes it as sojourners and exiles. I want to be very clear about this. When you and I turn on the news, when we watch TV, when we look at our favorite website, that is the reason that you and I have angst in our souls. That is the reason why in our minds we're thinking, this, what I'm looking at, what I'm viewing, what I'm reading, this is not right. I don't think this way. I don't, I don't process the world that way. And I want you to know, That's a good thing. When you're sitting there and you have that measure of angst in your soul, that is actually a good thing. Because if you were in Jesus Christ today, you're different. If you were in Christ, you are made different by the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. You're different. Now, I'm going to go all theological and doctrinal on you here for a moment. Bear with me. Scripture teaches us that the Holy Spirit is given to all believers upon our justification. That's a big theological word, justification. Here's what justification means. It's that moment where we acknowledge our sin, where we repent of our sin, where we actively place our faith in Jesus Christ and His work on the cross, and it is credited to us. That's justification. In that moment, you go from sinner to forgiven. You trade all of your stuff, the ugly stuff that's in your heart, the ugly stuff that is in your past, you take it and you give it to Jesus and he gives you forgiveness. And when that happens, a whole bunch of other stuff happens too. When that happens, you are made new, Scripture tells us. In that moment, not only are you made new, but you are given the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, your citizenship changes. Your citizenship changes. And this is why, in a world so deeply affected by sin, Christ followers are called to think different. We're called to live different. You and I are called to be different. Different. What I didn't say was that you and I are called to be weird. I didn't say you and I are called to be self-righteous. And I did not say you and I are called to be religious. What I said was we are called to be different. Different. You see, a watching world should look at us and say, man, there's something different about that person, that woman, that man, that student, that child. There's something different about them. There's something different in the way that they they handle their entertainment. There's something different about the way they engage with politics. There is something different about the way that they handle their relationships. There's something different about the way that they handle their financial resources. There is something different. See, that happens because as Christ followers, uh, we see the world through a different set of lenses. We view things differently. But I've got bad news for us. You say, well, Pastor, I didn't come to church to hear bad news. I've got bad news for us. Here's what the studies show. Here's what Barna Research shows, that the vast majority of Christ followers do not have a firm grasp on how to integrate biblical truth with the realities of life. We know there's biblical truth. We read it. That's good. We experience our daily life. We don't know how to integrate those. We don't know how to cross that bridge. We don't know how to live in that space. Candidly, that should not be. That should not be. But this is why a Christian worldview is so critical. It's so very important because it is the foundation of how you and I live based upon the Word of God, how we live and interact in our society, in how we parent, in how we deal in our marriage, in how we handle schooling, in all of the stuff of life. A Christian worldview should move us forward. But that begs the question, doesn't it? What in the world is a Christian worldview? What does that mean? Well, Jeff Myers is the president of an organization called Summit Ministries based in Colorado, and he leads a team of people. What they do is they host camps and retreats and pour into students about worldview. And here's what he says. He said a Christian worldview is a pattern of ideas, a pattern of beliefs, convictions, and habits that help us make sense of God and the world and help us to make sense of our relationship to God and the world. So that's where we're going to focus. We're going to use that as our foundation and our jumping-off point as we're going to look at God's Word to tell us not only about God, but about our relationship to God and how we begin to integrate those things, the truth of God's Word and the reality of our lives. Here's where we're going to focus. Psalm 111, verse 10. It says, "...the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding." His praise endures forever. Again, that's Psalm 111, verse 10. Popular verse, to be sure many of us are familiar with it. But the question is, what does that mean exactly? I mean, he's talking about fear. Does that mean I'm supposed to be afraid and scared of God? I mean, do we really grasp what fear of the Lord means in this context? I want to encourage you with two words. I want you to think about this. Think reverence. Think respect. Think reverence and respect when it comes to your submission to a holy God. The psalmist is teaching us here that in order for you and I to have true wisdom, it must begin with a healthy, robust reverence for God. That's the bedrock. That is the very foundation of wisdom. And it is only through wisdom that our head and our heart will acknowledge God in faith. It's only from that vantage point, whether you're a child, whether you're a student, whether you're a a man or a woman, it is only from that vantage point of wisdom that we come to the recognition that we need God, that we need forgiveness, and that we will ultimately surrender our lives to Jesus. In church, that helps us see the first of three realities of a Christian worldview. A Christian worldview begins with faith. A Christian worldview begins with faith. Now, with a crowd this size, I'm not going to make any assumptions, but I must ask you the question, do you have that faith? With a genuine heart of humility this morning, a heart that leads you to repentance of your sin, in a moment where you would surrender your life to Jesus Christ, do you have that faith? Perhaps today is your day. Perhaps today, in the quietness of this moment, you would say, I am going to turn from my sin. I'm going to grab a hold of Jesus Christ. I know there is sin. I know that that's my backstory. I'm going to turn from that, and I'm going to run to the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. It's a simple prayer of repentance and faith. You can do it right where you are right now. Father, I repent of my sin and I place my faith in Jesus Christ. It may seem obvious, but that's where a Christian worldview begins. That's the foundation, a genuine faith in Jesus. And then our faith grows. And then our faith grows as we get to go know God more deeply as we pray, as we commune with our Heavenly Father, as we reflect upon His Word. And then as we get to know Him more deeply, we have a deeper understanding of God, but also of His thoughts. And His thoughts then become our thoughts. Our head and our heart then become shaped by the Word of God, by the truth of God's Word. This helps you and I to see the second reality. The second reality. Of what it means to live with a Christian worldview. A Christian worldview challenges us to think biblically. It challenges you and I to think biblically. Now, how does one get there? How does one start thinking biblically? You're like, yeah, I'm in a church. I kind of expect the pastor to tell me that I'm supposed to think along the lines of the scriptures, but how, how does that happen? And, and what is that all about? Let me turn our attention to the Apostle Paul as he writes to the believers in Rome. And chapter 12, verse 2. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect. You see, when you and I put our minds in a position to be molded and shaped by God's world, our mind is transformed. It's changed. We become different. Just a few moments ago, you heard Pastor Ben talking about the opportunity for you to get into a group. We encourage every single person sitting in this room right now to be part of a life group, of a faith community. Not the guy next to you, not the people three down, everyone. Everyone. Here, we want to see in a group because that is the primary vehicle for believers to be changed and transformed by the Word of God. So whether you're young or whether you're old, whether you're really shy or whether you're incredibly outgoing, whether you're mature in your faith or just getting started, wherever you are on any of those lines, we want to encourage you to be in a group not for group's sake, but for transformation's sake. So that you would en- engage with the scriptures, you would read them, and them in community, you would reflect upon them, you would talk about them, and you would say, I'm not just understanding truth, but I'm living in my world, and my group helps me to integrate those things. It's the stuff of life. That's what a life group is, and that's what we want for you today. If you are not yet in a group, at the end of the service, I want to encourage you, head out into the lobby, off to the right, over to the Welcome Center, and that's where you can get signed up because we are launching new groups right now. It's a great time for you to get started. It's a great time for you to get started to engage deeply in God's Word. So that's what groups do. They engage with God's Word. They reflect upon it. They reflect upon the truth of God's Word and how it connects with our lives So, with that being said, with an understanding that you and I are called to think biblically and be transformed with Paul's definition there in Romans 12, let's play a little game. You guys ready? Three of you are ready. It's a math game. How many of you like math? Awesome. I don't. (laughs) I'm not good at it, so I don't like it very much. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your average day. This is a personal evaluation. I want you to take your average day, okay? How many hours each day do you spend reading, listening, watching national news, financial markets, the sports world? How many hours? I don't need an answer, but I need you to have an answer right where you are, okay? Capture that in your mind. How many hours do you do that, okay? That's what I want you to get over here. Sports, finances, news, okay? What's your number? Have your number. Next one we're going to look at is how many hours each day do you spend on your smartphone? Texting, being on social media, gaming, whatever it is, how many hours a day are you spending on your device? Now, here's the thing. That little device you hold is so smart, it can actually tell you how much you're on, okay? called screen time. Check it out. So, you have your first section, your first segment, your sports, your news, your financial web, your financial reports, all of that. That's in one category. The second number I want you to have is how much time you spend on your mobile device, texting, social media. You got that number? Those are the two numbers that I want you to think about. I want you to add those numbers together. This is each day. I want you to have those numbers and add those together. Now, I want you to consider how much time you spend Reading the Scriptures, or Bible-based material, or Christ-centered material, or Gospel-centered material. What's your number? I want you to add those two things up over here. That number is probably pretty large. For many of us, the third question that I asked, that number sometimes can be very small. The numbers can vary dramatically. But let me ask you this. How is your mind going to be transformed when six, seven, eight hours a day you're pouring into it the things of news and sports and weather and social media when you're not investing much more than maybe a half hour, an hour in this space where you're emphasizing gospel-centered materials to change your thinking? Church, I'm not saying that today to shame you. I am helping us to have a recognition of where our influences are coming from, where our mind is being influenced. Are we living in this space or are we living in this one? Does your Facebook profile get your time and your attention or does the truth of Paul's letter to the Philippians? Which is it? is your financial portfolio your focus or the raw and authenticity of what we find in the psalms I'm not trying to be judgmental I'm I'm really not but I do want to shine a spotlight on the fact that if we want our minds and our hearts to be transformed we've got to be in the book we've got to be engaging with things that are challenging us in our faith that are helping us understand what it means to walk in the ways of our God. I'm going to take a quick aside here. Many of you may know this, many of you may not recognize this, many of you may not have even thought about it before. But typically, in any message, I try to quote at least one book. Oftentimes, I will do that intentionally to quote maybe two or three books on a particular topic. But there's always at least one quote in my messages. You might say, Well, that's wonderful, Pastor. What, why are you telling me that? I'm telling you that because in the moment that I have on this stage on a Sunday morning is a half hour. I get a half hour of your week to communicate the truth of God's Word. A half hour. And I want to equip you. I want to equip you to dig in more with some of these really significant resources. So that's why I will quote Christian thinkers and pastors, apologists, because I want you to know what good books there are that you can do your own reading and digging and reflecting upon in your own time to get that number up. It's not a competition, but church is a half hour on a Sunday. CNN and Fox and ESPN, they're on 24-7. You see, the reason I want you to read the Word, the reason I want you to know these other Christ-centered resources is because they will deepen your Christian worldview. They will deepen it. They will strengthen it. Now, let's consider where this all leads. Once we have the foundation of faith in Christ, then we move to a point of biblical thinking that leads us to our third reality of a Christian worldview. It will move us to live humbly. It will move us to live humbly. It will change our lifestyle. Now, this humble idea is represented throughout the New Testament. Anytime you grab one of Paul's letters, you're going to be able to find the idea of humility presented often. I'm just going to pick out a couple. Just a couple that highlight what it means to live uprightly what it means to live humble lives amidst an unbelieving world. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes these words. He says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Philippians 2. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And if those two weren't clear enough, listen to Philippians 2, verse 8. And being found in human form, he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Church, a Christian worldview finds its beginning, finds its foundation, finds its hope in the person and the work of Jesus the Christ. Jesus. Jesus is our Redeemer, and in Him, that's where our faith begins. Jesus is our foundation, and in Him, that's where we find our base. Jesus is our hope, and He is the one who's going to guide us and lead us through the joys and the sorrows that you and I experience in this life. It is Jesus. Friends, that's why a Christian worldview is so important. Because it brings our focus back to Christ, who is the beginning, who is the middle, and who is the future of everything that you and I believe and everything we walk out and everything we're called to be. I love the way Pastor Rick McKinley summarizes this in a really great book called A Kingdom Called Desire. Here's what he writes. He says, Jesus didn't come to remodel your life. He came to be life. You see, the life that we've been striving for in Jesus, it's already been lived, it's already been perfected, it's already been given to us. We gain the life we've always desired because of Jesus in Him, in Christ, is life. You see, Jesus gives you and I true life life. That is why being in Christ and walking in His ways changes everything. It changes everything, including our view of the world and everything in it, our relationships, our career, our finances, our hobbies, all of it, all of it. You see, true life in Christ is not simply a small segment of your week, a small segment of your life. Jesus is your life. And that's why the Apostle Paul says these words. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of Christ Jesus. Jesus. Amen.